Happy Friday, everyone. Welcome to Conversations Care on Caring, our Facebook talk show, uh, where we bring together our healthcare partners, our clients, and our caregivers to help families better understand and cope with aging parents with chronic care needs. My name is Julie Collada, and I am the proud founder and president of Open Arms Solutions. And Open Arms is a home care agency serving the Chicagoland area. We're focused on uh, inspired home care solutions for seniors with chronic conditions such as dementia, uh, Parkinson's, and other movement disorders. It is truly our mission to help our families through this journey and to know that their loved one is living their best life possible. If you find this information helpful, please give us a like and share and so more people can reach, uh, receive this information. And if you have a question or topic you'd like us to cover, please write it in the comments section and we'll put it in our list of topics in the future. With me today is my good friend, Matt Margolis. We've known each other, I feel like so long, Matt, um, from Margolis Wellen to discuss the imp really important topic of the basics of estate planning. Hi, Matt, how are you? Hey, I'm good, how are you? I'm doing really well. Great to have you on our show. Matt, I think you were one of the first people I so we're in our 15th year, like in a blink of an eye, we're in our 15th year at Open Arms. And I think I met you pretty early on in the pretty start. Close. Pretty close, yeah, because I've been doing this for a little over 11 years now. Yeah. And so, you know, maybe maybe in that fourth year then of, of, of Open Arms yeah. is when we met. Yeah, I think that's, a, that's about right. And look at you now. So. Here we are. Here we are. Um, so Matt is one of the partners at Margolis Weldon, and um, you know Matt and his partner Lauren do a wonderful job advising seniors on incredibly important topics and, and, and estate planning. I know you also do Medicaid planning. Right. Um, let's just let's talk a little bit and just get let everyone get to know you a little bit better. Sure. Um, what caused you what what was your journey how did you arrive at becoming an estate planning attorney um so i don't i don't mine's probably different than than others but you know we all have our own story so you know when i was in law school um actually if i if i even go be uh before that so when, when i was in junior high i knew i wanted to be a lawyer i, I had two uncles that were successful attorneys and from a young age, I was looking at them and being like, wow, you know, they are, they're able to support their families and they're helping people. Um, and so from then I just kind of wanted to be a lawyer. But then when I got to law school, you know, I always, I always knew that I, I wanted to help people and I wanted to make money. <laughs> um, yep. And when I got out of law school, I was uh, doing one of those things and that was helping people, but I wasn't really making any money and that was okay. Um, and, and, and I was working for an attorney, um, basically doing everything and anything under the sun. You know, whatever came my way, that's what I did. And I did that for about a year and a half, living at home with my parents in Skokie, uh, making just enough money to kind of hang out with my friends on weekends and not even pay back my loans. And uh, one day I, I realized that I needed to get a job, like a real a real lawyer job. And um, 
I responded, honestly, I responded to a Craigslist ad that, uh, that an attorney uh, had posted and, um, didn't really know the type of law they did, ended up going in on the interview, realized it was estate planning and elder law. And as a then 27 year old, um, to be honest, I was thinking there's no way I'm going to do this. This would be so boring. Um, you know, estate planning and, and in my head at the time working with older people, but I took the, I ended up getting the job offer. I took the job. It was in the suburbs and I wasn't going downtown anymore. And, um, I'll tell you within, within three months, I realized that, 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 that was, that was my calling and, and that was the job for me. And, you know, I think part of it was that I, I grew up with an older dad. My dad's still around, thankfully. Um, but you know, I'll give you some perspective. I'm 38. My dad's 89 years old. My dad will be 90 this summer. Um, oh, wow. so I, I think I've always sort of had this without really knowing it, this, um, compassion and sort of empathy for, for older individuals. And um, hmm. that was it. I mean, you know, I, I never took a, a wills and estates course in law school. It was something, again, that was so far from anything I thought I would ever do. Um, but, you know, here I am. I've been doing, I've been in this area of the law now for 11 years. Um, and, and Lauren and I started our practice seven years ago, a little over seven years ago at this point. And, um, you know, this, this, I have zero interest in doing anything else. Nick, you know, it's, uh, well, thank you. I learned some new things about you. I didn't know that entire story. So thank yeah. you for sharing it. Sure, sure. And, um, you know, for so many of us that are in the field for providing support to seniors, um, you get hooked, you know, as you just described, yeah. you know, it is an amazing feeling to know that you feel you fulfilled such an important role in their lives, a crucial role for the whole family. So that's sure. great. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, of course. Of course. So the title of this uh, talk is, I think, uh, estate planning 101, um, estate planning is not just for the Pritzkers, which I thought was just a great title. So Let's just start out by having a conversation. What is estate planning? Yeah. So, you know, I mean, everybody has an estate, right? And, and it's, and I, and it's, what's funny is, you know, and I'm sure you, you hear different versions of this, you know, people will, will sit down with people and everybody has, and some people will come up with these comments like, oh, I really, you know, I really, I really don't have an estate or, you know, I, I have nothing or I have very little or, you know, and I always love when people say they have very little and, you know, they're worth a couple million dollars, but, you know, they have very little because their neighbors have multi-million, uh, you know, multi, uh, tons of millions of dollars, right? And so everybody has an estate. And I don't care if you have $30,000 in the bank or $10 million, right? The reality is that we, we all have something and, and most of us have, have had to work for it. Um, you know, very, a very small percentage of the population has been given a handout from a grandparent or a parent or somebody else. And, and so, you know, it's, it's important to plan. I mean, most of us care about what happens with our stuff when we pass away. Um, I've met very few people over the years and doing this for 11 years, you know, easily a couple thousand clients. I can honestly think of probably less, less than five people that have had kind of like a very blase attitude when it comes to what happens with their stuff when they're gone. And those have tended to be single or widowed individuals that don't have any children and just have sort of a negative outlook on life. And that's pretty uncommon, pretty, pretty uncommon as far as, you know, what we will, you know, the people we normally meet with. Um, and so really, you know, to me, you know, estate planning is 
planning your estate, planning for what's going to happen when, when you pass away. Um, but it's even more than that because estate planning includes planning for what happens when you're alive, but maybe not doing that well. You know, all, all of a sudden you've been, you've been diagnosed with something. Maybe it's a chronic illness. Uh, um, maybe it's something that's, you know, something that you that hopefully you're only going to deal with for a couple of years, but it could be chronic. And so, you know, the, the, the idea is really putting some sort of plan in place. And there really is a, a plan for everybody. You know, I don't, uh, obviously I'm a little bit biased, um, but you know, everybody needs some sort of a plan and, and it doesn't need to have all the bells and whistles. Um, but it, again, most of us care about what's going to happen with our stuff. And, and most of us care a lot about how we're going to be taken care of uh, during our lifetime in the event that, that we become ill um, and we can't take care of ourselves uh, anymore. And so it's really just about making sure that we've got the right documents in place, because at the end of the day, all of this comes down to legal paperwork, right? I mean, you know, you know, in your industry that if somebody's incapacitated, you're working through a power of attorney. Um, you know, if somebody can't make their own medical decisions, the healthcare power of attorney has to step in and, and make decisions for them. So again, it's not, it's not just planning for death. It's planning for what happens during our lifetime. During our uh, lifetimes. Yeah. yeah. Well said. And yeah, you know, and you and I see, um, I said, well, this next, this next question kind of, uh, you know, when, when do you think people need to, to start to think about an estate plan? Uh, cause in our industry, we have the same, I'm, I'm imagining the same experience that all too often people come to us when there's an event or there's, you know, and there's a crisis and, and then we, we respond best we can to that crisis. You know, we, uh, but ideally from an estate planning uh, perspective, when, when should people start thinking about it? So, and I agree with everything you just said, Julie, because, you know, we do work with so many people that are in crisis and, and, you know, just in general, right, this, this, and this isn't an epiphany, but, you know, as we wait and, and as, you know, potential crises occur, our options decrease. And, and sometimes we have very few options. And so, you know, the idea of when to start planning is sort of a tough question to answer, but it's a question that comes up very often. You know, I mean, there, there's sort of, you know, in my opinion, we're going to have different stages of, of, of when to plan, right? And everybody's going to plan at different times, obviously, but, you know, sort of what's ideal or, or what's typical, because I'm almost, I almost want to say what's typical versus what's ideal. Because if we say what's ideal, I think the answer is, well, you know, you're, you know, being realistic, you're, you're mid to late twenties, you're, you're, you've got, you're established and hopefully in some respect, you know, maybe it's not your forever job or forever career, but you know, you've graduated from college or you haven't graduated and you're working and maybe you've started a family and maybe you haven't, but you know, you're, you're young enough and healthy enough where putting something together makes sense. And if nothing else, maybe that's just putting powers of attorney in place. Um, you know, because we could become incapacitated at any point in time. We could be in a car accident tomorrow and not have the ability to make our own decisions. You know, we put powers of attorney together for 18 year olds going off to college, which is something a lot of people don't consider. So you could, you know, we could argue that you could start planning at that point, because once we all turn 18, we become the only person in the world that can make our own decisions. Um, but I will say from a very realistic standpoint, you know, when people really, when people ask me when, when should people really start to plan, I would say 
you know, for younger individuals, typically they're going to start planning when they when they when they start to have a family. Right. So what's going to be more common and what we would really advocate for is that, you know, you're you're married or you have kids. Any in any case where you have kids, you should be planning because now you're responsible for somebody else. And if something happens to you. We want to make sure that there's a guardian in place to take care of them and a guardian that you've chosen, not leaving it up to chance, not having your parents and your spouse's parents in court fighting over who's going to take care of their grandchild. And so, so it, it might make sense to just describe what a guardian is a little bit more for our viewers. Yeah. Yeah. So, in, so, you know, in Illinois, many other, in many States, right. So I, anybody that's under the age of 18 needs a legal guardian. Okay. And in most cases, if they have, if they have biological parents, their biological parents are typically going to be their legal guardians. Mm -hmm. um, that's not going to be in every case, right. Obviously in the, in the case of an adoption, if I'm adopting somebody, I am, I am there now, now their legal guardian and their biological parent is no longer their legal guardian. Um, and, and so the, the, the situation I'm talking about is a situation where, you know, if I pass away, my wife and I pass away and our, our youngest child hasn't turned 18 yet, we need somebody to step in and be their legal guardian until they're 18. And so with a will, a last will and testament is, is the document where we are going to name guardians for our minor children. But at the end of the day, I always tell clients this, and it's important to know this, it's a suggestion to the court. Okay, because if I name my wife and I name my brother to act as guardian and then something happens to us and at the time that a guardian needs to be appointed, my brother is has an alcohol problem or a drug addiction. You know, the court's going to have somebody interview him and he may not be they, they might not want to appoint him. And so it's always important to have maybe a couple people listed as, as guardians. Obviously, if we if we have a few people that we that we really you know, know like and trust. Yeah, that's some great advice. It's just if you don't name that, though, and you don't have that documents, then you completely lose control over, right? The court then becomes the guardian. Well, it, the court could become the guardian, but would be more what would be more likely or more common is that if, if my wife and I passed away and our kids, either one of our kids were still under the age of 18, somebody would likely in our family petition the court. So somebody in our family would probably hire a lawyer and petition the court to be their guardian. And then the court obviously kind of goes through a process to determine, is this person a fit guardian? You know, if my dad at 89 was petitioning the court to be the sole guardian of our kids, the court might not grant that, right? Because my dad means well, but at 89, he might really not be the best fit for them, especially if my mother-in-law is also maybe petitioning the court. And at 65, she's probably a lot, a lot more of a realistic guardian for them. And so in most cases, somebody will actually petition the court um, but there are some situations where, you know, families are, are don't get along. Um, there aren't really that many people that that would that would step forward. And then, yeah, and then, the, and then the court would have to appoint a guardian. And then you're looking at, you know, the you know, then you're looking at sort of like the foster system. And, um, you know, that, and then then that can kind of go down a different path. Yes. Yep. Yep. Makes sense. Um, so. People need to start thinking about an estate plan, certainly when they have children. Um, and, and interesting, from you, you talked about um, power of attorneys and how important they are. Uh, you know, uh, and those are legal, POAs are legal guardians. We, we not guardians, but appointed to be able to make decisions on behalf of someone else. And that's so important when oh. we do and how often we we go in and talk to families and um you know that there are no 
POA documents. That's one of the first things we need to make sure um, are established and, and try to explain to someone, um, you know, if God, if a God forbid happens and that person could no longer make these decisions, if, they, if there's not that power of attorney document, which is often part of an estate plan, right? That's part of the whole process that you take people through. Um, yeah. It's pretty, it's pretty atypical for an estate plan to not include powers of attorney documents yeah. for healthcare and property. You know, we see it, we have clients come to us where they worked with an attorney and for some reason, just a trust was put in place or just a will. Very uncommon, very uncommon. And I've had clients come to us saying, oh, I just need a will or trust. I don't need powers of attorney. And, you know, we're pretty, I'll say that's one thing where we might be a little pushy and we might say, you know what, this it's pretty, you know, this is something, you know, we needed to do all this together. Um, it, and, and to me, powers of attorney are, are equally, if not more important than having a will or trust in place. Yeah. Yes, it is. Um, you mentioned one thing too, uh, when my son, our youngest, uh, Michael went off to college, uh, 18 years old. And I got a call and he was in the emergency room. He broke his ankle. He was at university of Wisconsin healthcare systems hospitals. And, um, I needed to talk to them about Michael, but there was no POA in place. So you had mentioned, and this is just a great, uh, and I've told all my friends about this because we don't think about, oh, you have, you know, when you're, when your child is now 18, you know, the healthcare system will not talk to you unless you're the POA. So right. uh, those are kind of the things that you have to just think about that most people don't think about. Right. Right. And I get it. I get it. And when it comes to a lot of this, people, you know, it's not, it's not so much um, people not wanting to think about it. It's just, it's just people, it's just a lot of this stuff isn't on people. It's not on our radar, right? Absolutely. The average person, this is just, isn't on their radar, especially POAs, powers of attorney documents for an 18 year old, because most yeah. people aren't even thinking about it for themselves. And so if they're not thinking about it for themselves, no way are they thinking about it for their, no. for their you know, uh, now that was just a, child. a really good point. Yeah. There, we have a viewer question, so let me just see what this is. Who is your contact for planning? The named client, the POA named for financial, or a lawyer? So who do you typically sit down with? And that's that really, I think, uh, feeds into the next question, kind of what are the steps needed to create an estate plan? So who yeah. do you, I think the viewer question is, who, who, who do you sit down with? Well, you know, I, you know, for for majority of people that we're doing some estate planning work for, you know, I'll be sitting, I'll be sitting down with the, the actual client, right? So, so Julie, if you call me and you say, "Hey, Matt, you know, so and so gave me your information," uh, you know, I need to do some estate planning, or my spouse and I need to do some estate planning. I mean, I, I'm sitting down with you, and if you're, and if, if somebody's married, I really want to be sitting down with with both spouses. I mean, in certain cases, maybe we'll only sit down with one if it's just the logistics of getting both spouses together is extremely difficult, but that's pretty few and far between. Um, with older clients, it's a, it can be a little different. You know, some of my older clients, you know, if they already have powers of attorney in place and maybe we're discussing issues that are related to the planning, I can sit down and talk to the power of attorney, but at the end of the day, depending on any decisions that we make, it might have to go through the client directly. And that just really depends on the language and the power of attorney and, and what the power of attorney can or cannot do for the, the, you know, for the principal, um, you know, for the person who's, who's that we're planning we're doing. But in most cases, I'm sitting down with the actual client, um, and 
you know, was the question sort of like, what are, what are the steps in, in the planning? Is that what you had asked? Um, the question was, oh, there's another one that popped up. Who's the contact for plan? Who is your I mean, contact? Would, the name client or a PO? It would, it would, so it, if, if my client is incapacitated, it would be the power of attorney if they have one. If the client is not incapacitated, it may still be the power of attorney if my client wants me to communicate through their power of attorney. If they have capacity, the power of attorney might still be in effect because a power of attorney can take effect the day it's signed. And so I could still work with the power of attorney in that case. But yeah, majority of the time it will be the client directly. Okay, makes sense. Yeah. There's another viewer question here. This is a, uh, a very common one. My parent, it's a great question. My parents never want to talk about estate planning with me. How do I break the ice? Oh, you know, so I found that in some cases, you know, uh, this viewer's uh, parents in this case might have an easier time talking to a professional, talking talking directly to an attorney. You know, in a lot of cases, they're they're more comfortable talking to the attorney about it than they are talking to their own kids. Um, I, you know, some clients that we work with, they're just very secretive about their, they don't want their kids to know about their finances, um, whether they have a lot of money or, or not a lot of money, it doesn't really matter. They just don't want to share that information with their kids. And, and sometimes they also, they also, I think that they do it from like a protective standpoint. You know, I don't want to discuss my mortality with my children, right? It's like, I can relate that with my parents. It's like every time they have a medical issue, they think they're helping me out by not telling me about it. Versus, versus being open. And so I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but you know that might be a situation where maybe your parents are more comfortable talking to a lawyer. Um, so I've, I've told clients in the, you know, adult children in the past that have reached out with that similar question. I said, you know, maybe they would, maybe they'll contact, if they want to contact me directly, you know, you don't have to be a part of it. You know, yeah, you're kind of, you're pushing them and that might be kind of pushing them away from it. And so maybe it's sort of like, hey, listen, I'm done. You know, I, I won't. Be, I don't need to be involved. But here's the contact information for somebody that can help. Um, you know, and it's sort of like if that doesn't work, you know, I, I am not one to sell estate planning through fear uh, by any means. That's just not. That is not how we do business. However, I will say there's a time and place for it, right? So sometimes I'll have client, you know, adult tell adult children, you know, maybe you need to talk to your parents about the idea that listen, you don't care who they meet with or what they do, but you don't want to be in a situation where all of a sudden they're incapacitated and a court is starting to make decisions for them as to who will be able to make their financial decisions, who will be making their medical decisions. You know, at least if they are proactive about it, they get to decide, you know, they get to make, they get to choose who's going to step into all these roles and, and support them, you know, as, as, as they get ill and, and when they pass away. Um, that's probably the best answer I can give. I mean, I could I probably. I think that's a really you know, good answer in my opinion. Matt, because, you know, if you could just, if you, if you, you know, we've had similar conversations with families and it's like, it's, I'm just concerned about mom, dad, if we don't have this information, I don't know what you're going to need or want. And right. I don't want to be put in a position where I make a choice that you wouldn't want. And um, so I, I, in my experience, that's, um, that can be helpful, not to everybody, but, but sometimes no. that can help, you know, put something in perspective when it's really other things just, you know, aren't, aren't flowing. Right. Um, let me make sure. Cause we have, we're out, we're actually running out of time here and there's so yeah. much other things to talk about. 
Um, what are the steps needed to create an estate plan? What does that process look like? Yeah, so I mean, obviously, I'm coming. I'll, I'll, I'm coming from our perspective and, and how we do things in our office. And you know, obviously, people should understand that other attorneys work a little bit differently. But you know, typically, you know, the first step with with folks from an estate planning standpoint is we want to provide education. You know, most people don't know. Even though we might get a call from somebody saying, "Hey, Matt, my financial advisor said I need a trust," or, or you know, Joe Blow said I need a will. Most people have no idea between the different the difference between a will and a trust. You know, they just somebody's told them that they need this this document, and so. You know, our first step is is education, and whether we're we're doing that through a one-on-one -on -one meeting with clients, where we kind of go through, you know, wills, trust, powers of attorney, HIPAAs, living wills, sort of all the documents that that we feel makes up a pretty comprehensive estate plan. You know, that first meeting is just going through all of that and and giving them all that information, and it's totally educational. Um, you know, we also I, I do a, an estate planning 101 Zoom talk, you know, once a month. That sometimes people are it's easier for them to kind of tune in at night versus taking time out of the workday. And the information I give is exactly like I do in that first meeting. And so some people might do it that way, but either way, if somebody's going to work with us, they're going to do one of those. They're either going to have a one-on-one -on -one meeting or they're going to attend that talk. And then from there, we're going to determine what's the best plan for them, right? Let me understand what their goals are. Let's see what your, your, your specific circumstances look like. And then we'll make some suggestions about what we think an appropriate plan would be for them. And then obviously it's their choice. Do the, you know, do you want to go down this path? that path, do not want to work with me at all. And then typically from there, we start the process. And that's where, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll have our clients sort of fill out a questionnaire and give us all the information that we need to draft the documents. And then from there, we'll sit down and we'll, we'll have a conversation. We'll go through that questionnaire, go through all the questions with them, make sure that we're on the same page, make sure we understand exactly what they want and exactly what they mean. Um, and then once we're on the same page and we're speaking the same language, you know, from there, we draft the documents, we get them to the clients to review, we go over any questions they have or changes they want to make. And then we're, we're signing the documents. And then we're talking about, you know, maybe next steps, even from that point. You know, if we if we have a trust in place, um, I know, we're not going to get into the details of it. But, you know, if we have a trust in place, this is a document where we need to actually retitle our bank accounts and our investment accounts and our real estate. And so we're going to talk to the clients about, all right, now that you have this trust, you have to go do x, y, and z, so that you're actually taking advantage of the trust. You know, if there's any real estate, we'll help with that. So, you know, for most for most people, once we kind of start the process, it, it's probably about a three month process, give or take a couple weeks. Um, and then obviously we have outliers. I'm working with clients right now that have signed up with us in March of 2020, and we're still working on their estate plan um, by no fault of our own. So, um, you know, that's sort of what a typical the typical planning process looks like, at least at least for us. Okay, great. Thanks for explaining that. Uh, yeah just at a very high level mm -hmm. uh because i know we don't have time to go yeah. into a real detailed explanation but what, what's a trust what's a will just high level Matt, <laughs> so, yeah yeah very very high level okay yeah so a, a will is both a will and a trust are documents that we'll talk about where our stuff goes when we die okay um biggest difference between the two for most people out there will be avoiding probate or not and probate is the court process where our estate can go through it and the judge determines where our stuff goes when we die, okay? And so a will is likely a document that will still require our estate to go through probate. So we kind of look at a, a will as like a letter to the judge, dear judge, my name's Matt, I passed away, here's what I want to have happen, but it's gonna have to go through the court system, right? My The executor, who's gonna be the person that's gonna administer my estate, is gonna hire a lawyer and is gonna deal with that probate process. And in a, in a pretty, straightforward, simple, nobody's fighting probate estate, 
probably looking at a year to 24 months before it's all settled and then everything will be distributed to the beneficiaries. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, a trust, okay. A revocable living trust, because there's different types of trusts out there, but the revocable living trust, which is the more common trust that we would draft for most people that are doing planning. This is going to do the same thing as a will. It's going to, it's going to decide what happens with all of our stuff when we die. But the biggest difference is that a trust will allow us to avoid the probate process. It will allow us to avoid going to court. It's sort of like the idea of a power of having a power of attorney versus not having a power of attorney and becoming incapacitated. I have a power of attorney. Well, the agent I named gets to deal with all of my stuff and take care of me on a private basis. If I don't have a power of attorney and I'm incapacitated, they're going through a guardianship, which is a court process. And it's going to take more time and cost more money. Same thing with a trust. The trust is like that power of attorney. It's going to avoid probate as long as we make sure we retitle our assets. And the trustee of the trust, which is sort of like the executor of a will, is going to be the person that's going to manage my estate and make sure that everything goes to the beneficiaries, but avoiding that process in court. Um, so very high level. That's really the biggest distinction. Yeah. You know, the one other thing I'd add really quickly is that for somebody that does have an estate like the Pritzkers or, you know, on a much smaller basis, but a, a nice size estate, trust can also help avoid estate taxes. Very important. Yep. Well, Matt, I think we have your contact information uh, in the comments. And um, I think that the first step, if people have questions or follow-up questions, is just to reach out to you with questions. Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. And, um, you know, I really thank you for being part of this time with us. I know there is so much more to talk about if, if people who viewers, if viewers are interested in going into your, your monthly zoom, can you just, I think Alex would be able to post it. How do they do that? What's the best you know, the way best, to do that? The best thing would I honestly, you know, I know my emails in the chat, they can just shoot me an email. It's the last, it's the last Thursday evening of every month at seven forty-five. It's via zoom. So people can email me and I can always let them know when the next one is. Perfect. Yep. Perfect. We're out of time. I told you it would go fast. Yep. Great to see you. We haven't seen each other for a long I time. Know. Great to see I you. Know. Thank you for I the know. work you do and for being on the program. Well, thanks for having me. Same Absolutely. with you, Julie. Take good care. You too. Bye. Thank you. Bye-bye.